Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Another week and another episode of Fizz 5 coming your way. This week it's Francesco Simone and Adam Godkin. We're previewing some North Carolina football. Coming up soon, this is week number six, if you can believe it, Adam. <laughs> After this game, the season's halfway over. It doesn't feel like it. No. It, it, feel like we, it felt like we just started, but we're halfway through. This team is well over 500, but you get another ranked opponent on deck. We'll be talking all about that ranked opponent, what's coming next for Syracuse football, some college basketball recruiting news as well. Hey, those exhibition games just a couple of weeks away for Syracuse men's and women's basketball, those alike. Now, let's get started. Topic number one, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Number one. Okay, Adam, when the season began before the year even started, everybody said, all right, first four games of the year, you're going to be at least 3-1, and one. you hope to be 4-0, and oh. you end up being 4-0, and oh. then you got the gauntlet. You got Clemson, you got Carolina, you got Florida State. In the gauntlet, you're 0 for 1. You got smacked in your own building last week against Clemson. Now, you hit the road against the Carolina team who's 4-0, ranked number 14 in the country. It's a big challenge for the Syracuse team. It's a massive challenge for the Syracuse team. And now, you could argue the best game that they've played all season was on the road in a packed house at Purdue. But even then, Purdue is bad. Purdue is one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, so... This is a real challenge against a real good North Carolina team. And for the Tar Heels, it all starts with their quarterback, Drake May. Well, you're exactly right. You can't talk about Carolina football without talking about the May family and, of course, Drake May himself. He was the ACC Player of the Year last year, was a redshirt freshman, threw for 4,000 yards, the only player in the conference to get to that mark, 38 touchdown passes, tied Sam Hartman for the lead in the conference. But this year, Adam... It's been a little bit different. He's got about 1,200 passing yards, which is fourth in the ACC, but only five touchdowns, which is 10th, and four interceptions. So maybe not quite the start that Drake May, who had top five NFL draft pick hype coming into the year, would have wanted. Maybe not, but he's still a guy who's going to get drafted in the first round and probably still a guy who will get drafted in the top 10. This is a crazy stat that I saw the other day. The last top 10 quarterback draft pick who Syracuse beat oh, was me, Matt Ryan. I wanted to get well, oh, Matt Ryan. To yeah, Matt 08? Ryan, 2004, when he a came four. in as a freshman. Oh, my goodness. He came in as a freshman at BC. That's the last time they won. Who's the last first-round pick quarterback that Syracuse beat? Syracuse beat? The last one that they played must have been Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Okay, last one they so 0-3 against Trevor Lawrence. Malik Willis went in the third round, even though people thought he was going to go in the first. They've lost 13 in a row, I'll tell you that. Um, well, Kenny, Pickett, I, Kenny Pickett might be the last one they played, actually. 0-4. Uh, the last one that they beat, it, it's been 13 in a row they've lost to? Yep. Give me a year. Um, the year was, oh, I don't know what year they beat him, but he was in college from 2011 to 2013. Jameis? Nope. Who is it? Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, my goodness. 0-2 against Jameis. And he was the 32nd overall pick yeah, for Bridgewater. Yeah, he, he was barely a first-rounder. Yeah. So that's that's a crazy stat, and Drake May is legit. I think he's that good, and a big story coming into this game is now he has his number one receiver eligible yeah. starting yesterday yeah. mm-hmm. in Tez Walker after that whole mm-hmm. saga. That's just Syracuse's luck, right? Tez Walker's yep. ruled eligible the week of the Syracuse game. Now, Tez Walker, 
eligibility issues with the NCAA is transfer from Kent State. A 1,200-yard receiving guy in the MAC was really good against Georgia last year, too. Really talented guy right now. The question is he hasn't played football in 10 months, so what's he going to do this week? How much of a part of the offense is he going to be? You don't know that, right? But you're going on the road against a top 15 team, and now they just get that much better. It's a tough blow. They do. They do. That makes it really difficult. I watched Tez Walker a lot, actually, last year. I watched a lot of Kent State. One of my good friends was their running back. There so you go. I saw him play a lot. Well, Tuesday and... night action for you? Oh, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. But his skill set, I think, does translate well to this Power 5 level. And you give Drake May more weapons, and he's going to be dangerous. He's going to be very, very dangerous. And this Syracuse defense has been good this year. Mm. This is another step up from Kate Klubnick, though. A hundred percent. I was just about to say that. Cade Klubnik, I think, is a good quarterback. I think he played very well last week being in the Dome. He seemed like he was very much in control of that Clemson offense. But he's not Drake May. Doesn't have the arm Drake May does. Doesn't have the size Drake May does. And sneaky with May as well. He's not a statue in the pocket. If he's under pressure, he can move around in the pocket. And then if you give him a little bit of room, he doesn't want to run necessarily. But if you force him to, he will. Yeah, he's kind of like my guy Sam Howe. Sure, it's, sure. It, it's been a history of pretty decent quarterbacks recently out of UNC, and, and something that you see with these guys, and I think that it's a lot of Mac Brown influence, mm-hmm. is that they are always, very, they're never going to lose their head. Yeah. That was the same thing with Sam Howell in college. It's still how he is now, and that's Drake May. No matter how much you pressure him, he's not going to make bad decisions. Yeah. And that's something that Syracuse really capitalized off of in that one road win against Purdue. They capitalized on those turnovers, on those fumbles. That's not something that UNC is going to do, especially at home. No, you're right. It's interesting, the the comparison to Sam Howell, right? Because the general consensus seems to be that Drake May is just a better football player than Sam Howell was at this point in his college career. But I want to go back to the first game of the 2020 season. Obviously, a disaster for Syracuse. You go 1-10. But that's the only time that Syracuse has played at Carolina in this era of Syracuse being in the ACC. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's been a decade, and they've gone to Chapel Hill once. 31-6, wow. to Carolina beat Syracuse. The Orange, though, kept Sam Howell in check in that game. He had 295 yards through the air. That's good, obviously. But one touchdown and two picks. Now, obviously, a very different team, but the same coaching staff in terms of Dino and the same defensive philosophy. Is there any type of thing that you can take from that game? Maybe a little bit, because Mac Brown's still there leading Carolina. But I don't know, just a, an interesting point of great UNC quarterback Sam Howell. You keep him in check, but you still lose by 25. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. But Syracuse has played well on the road recently in these big games. They, again, played well against Purdue. They almost beat Clemson on the road. So I'm, I'm very excited for this. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I don't like Syracuse to win it. I don't either. I I don't know how you really can after what you saw last week. But if you can slow down Drake May, then maybe you give your offense a chance to do something. And there's a lot of questions about this offense, and we'll get into that. Mm. But it all starts with stopping Drake May because you're not going to beat UNC in a shootout. UNC averages four yards a carry on the ground, right? Which is not a bad mark. You got O'Mary and Hampton, who's the number one running back. He's up over five, has seven touchdowns on the year. So they've got a running game. Um, but you're right, Adam. It, it all starts with Drake May. And the biggest thing that concerns me outside of May, and maybe even including May, is Mac Brown. I mean, you mentioned it. He's one of the great college football coaches of all time, has been around, I mean, what, for 40, 50 <laughs> years in college football. Uh, 
you know, whenever you're facing a guy like that, he's the Jedi master of college coaching, right? He knows more than almost anybody else in the country. Against Dino Babers, who, listen, let's face it, is known for sometimes making blunders with the clock management, with the game plans, this, that, and the other thing. So the coaching advantage is clearly on the UNC side, too. It definitely is, and, you know, I've said Syracuse plays well on the road, but how is Dino Babers going to manage that? How How is he going to start this game? Because mm-hmm. we've seen some bad starts against pretty much everyone except Purdue, against yep. Western Michigan and Army and Clemson and mm-hmm. Colgate. The team didn't start very well. So going into a road atmosphere against Mac Brown, who's going to have his team ready, and there's no doubt about that, that is a big worry coming into this game. you got to come out hot, otherwise Carolina is going to get you and Drake May is going to rip you apart. All right, that's topic number one, the Carolina Tower Heels. Adam, real quickly, score prediction? Ooh. Um, it's it's, it's I, I UNC just, minus 9.5. Uh, definitely, UNC 34, Syracuse 14. I, I just, you got a 20. Wow. I, I got a 20-point game. I said, I think, like 38-10 against Clemson. Mm-hmm. I just... I, I think that Drake May has at least three touchdowns. Yeah. They get a couple in, on the ground, and then I, I don't think this Syracuse offense can get it done. I will take Carolina as well, but I'm going to make it a little bit closer. I'm going to say Carolina 31, Syracuse 23, the orange cover, but don't win on the road. All right. That's topic number one. Let's move on to topic number two. We talked all about Drake May and the UNC offense against the Syracuse defense, but we got to talk about the Syracuse receiving core, Adam. Number two. No Aranda Gadsden, no Isaiah Jones. Trevor Pena made a very brief appearance in the Army game, and now he's got the same injury all over again. Who knows if he's going to play tomorrow? Um, this is Syracuse receiving core, Adam. That, that is in really tough shape right now. Yeah, right now it's LaQuinn Allen probably yeah. as yeah. your number one receiving yeah. option. He's been leading the charge in pretty much every single game, and Garrett Trader had, doesn't have much help right now. I don't have much... Th- faith in Umari Hatcher to catch a ball. We've talked about how I love Donovan Brown. He's someone who I know, but this has been the thing with Donovan Brown ever since he was in high school. He's best as a deep threat. He's someone who the defense is going to worry about going for 50, 60 yards, but if you need 10 yards, he's not necessarily your guy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's It's a bad spot right now for Syracuse with these injuries. You've lost, some people would say, your top three receivers, potentially at least yeah. three of your top four, because yes. Damian Alford is still there, but mm-hmm. Damian Alford hasn't been consistent, so no. we're in a bad spot right now when it comes to these Syracuse receivers. I'm glad you mentioned Alford, because that, that's where I was going next. So Damian Alford's got a career day against Army. He has 135 receiving yards, makes nine catches, comes out against Clemson, and his first catch is in the fourth quarter. Makes one Goes for 35 yards. He gets completely shut down by Sheridan Jones, who's a really good corner for Clemson. But, I mean, everybody's been talking about Alford, right? He had a great camp. People thought he was going to be a breakout candidate. He's a captain. Dino Babers says, we don't make captains captains by accident, right? We expect him to play well. But against a good team, he shows up and, well, doesn't really show up, right? One catch for 35 yards. If he's going to be the number one option, you got to prove it sooner than later. You do, but... I feel like this is what we expected from Damian Alford. Yeah. Even him as a breakout, he was not going to be the number one mm-hmm. option. Yeah. It was going to be a Rondé Gatson. Sure. And so Alford would be able to kind of fly under the radar. Now that you get number one corners on him, mm-hmm. he just doesn't have what it takes to get separation. He just simply doesn't have what it takes if he's getting double covered ever to make a catch. Yeah. 
because he's such a physicality guy, if he's yeah. double covered, he has no chance. No, you're right, and that's his game, right? Run down the sideline, hope you're in one-on-one coverage, throw him a jump ball, and make him go get a rebound because he's not going to run by anybody necessarily either. The two that concern me, Umari Hatcher and Donovan Brown, if you look at their numbers, right, they're not bad. They're both over 200 receiving yards through five games of the season, which if I told you that before the year, you probably would have said, wow, that's pretty good, right? But the issue is, for the role that they're playing, they just don't catch the football enough. I mean, they have drops on drops on drops, and it's every week. You have to catch the football. Yeah. It's it's as simple as that. You have to catch the football at this level. You think about that the Donovan Brown drop when Dan Valari threw him a pass. A trick play, and it worked to perfection in confusing the defense. Donovan Brown's wide open. Boom, he drops the football. Yamari Hatcher has that drop after drop after drop. It's crazy to say, but at this point, it doesn't feel that simple. Yeah, Catch the football, yeah. and then you give your offense a chance. And it's not even just you know the, the long ball that Velarde threw. It's a weird play. It's a ball you should catch, but I guess, all right. You can make some sort of excuse for it. Five-yard slants at him. Both yeah. Hatcher and Brown, they can't catch him. No, and this is something that I feel like we kind of knew coming into this season that Aronde Gatson was going to be the only receiving option who could be viable within 10 yards of yeah. the line of scrimmage because that's not who these other guys are. Yeah. But now that you lose Gatson, your offense is incredibly predictable. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, it's read options with Garrett Schrader and LaQuintal, and it's flat routes to LaQuintal, and that's really all it is right now. And listen, are Donovan Brown and Yamari Hatcher talented football players? Excuse me. Yes, they are. Right, we've talked about it. They can both fly. Yamari Hatcher's a big dude. You gotta catch the ball, and if you don't, you just can't be counted on. Now, the one guy that we haven't mentioned yet who broke out maybe a little bit against Clemson is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, frankly, is Dan Villar. <laughs> he was my breakout player coming into the season. You, you know what? I we said did he this, was my breakout player. We did this a month player. ago, and I gotta give you credit. You, <laughs> you know, well, we'll see what happens. It's been one game, but you know what? It's not a bad point. <laughs> I, I think that Dan Villari can maybe add something to this receiving court. He had two catches, both looked good. Yeah. He had the ball in his hands, broke a couple tackles, found his way to the end zone, and then they had him in the wildcat. They had him mm-hmm. throw a pass. I mean, two, two passes. Two That's what you got to do yeah. now when you yeah. lose a Rondé Gatson, when you lose Isaiah Jones. You have to be, fan- I don't know about fancy, you have to be different. Yeah. And you have to do these special things to try and confuse defenses because you lose that ability to throw short and mid-range passes. You can't just run the ball or throw it deep. You have to have something else. And if that something else is going to be crazy trick plays to Dan Villari, at least it's fun, I guess. Yeah. It's fun to yeah. watch. That, that's what you I, can say. I did legitimately like what I saw from him, though, against Clemson, like you mentioned, when he had the football in his hands. Because the first ball he catches, it's an underneath route. He catches it five, six, seven yards downfield and takes it for 20 down the sideline and ran away from the Clemson Tigers defense. Those are four- and five-star athletes. And then the touchdown catch, he makes the grab at the 10 and breaks like five tackles and gets into the end zone. So Garrett Schrader's called him over and over again this week a football player, right? And that's a good description of him. Is he a tight end? Is he an H-back? Is he a receiver? Is he a hybrid quarterback? Who knows? But it doesn't really matter because he's a guy who can get you yardage, right? And that's what the Syracuse offense needs right now is yards. However the heck they come, you got to figure out a way to get them. But now, just Syracuse's luck, right? In the fourth quarter, what does Dan Valori do? Leave the game with an injury. So is he going to play tomorrow? We have no idea, but hopefully he does because they need guys right now. 
They do. Injury after injury, and this is something that plagued the Orange last year, injuries. And unfortunately, it's the same thing again, and it feels like they're all piling up really at that one position and at one of the most important positions. Who leads Syracuse in catches and yards tomorrow? Laquitt Allen. In both? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think he has like nine catches for 70, 80 yards because – that's the Syracuse offense. Dino Baber said after the Army game that he expects and he thinks that LaQuinn Allen can be a guy who has 100 on the ground and 100 mm-hmm. through the air pretty much yep. every single week. Yep. And I think we see the same thing again. Maybe yards is different if Yamari Hatcher, Donovan Brown, or Damian Alford get a deep ball. Yeah. And then that's where, you know, you have that one mm-hmm. catch for yes. 70 yards. And then because of it, that person leads the group. But I think the safest way to go is just to say LaQuinn Allen. I think Allen leads the team in catches, but they hit a deep shot to Alford. He's got like two for 80-something, and that ends up being the leader in yards. All right, that's topic number two. What the heck is Syracuse going to do at receiver? Now, let's move on to topic number three and talk about, all right, you got Carolina this week, Florida State next week. In a tough spot in terms of who you're going to play soon, how do you avoid a collapse if you're Syracuse? Number three. Well documented last year. You start the season 6-0, and you get a halftime lead against Clemson, that goes by the wayside. Lose that game, end up losing five in a row, eventually get back on track against Boston College, lose the bowl game to Minnesota, end the year 7-6 and after beginning 6-0. and This year you start 4-0, and you knew you had this three-game gauntlet, right? You would have hoped for a better showing against Clemson, now you're 4-1. and Carolina on the road, top 15 team. Florida State on the road next week, a top five team who's got a good chance of going to the college football playoff. Not going to be easy to win either of these two games, right? But then after that, the schedule lightens up. Because, Adam, I don't know if you've noticed, the ACC is bad this year. So I don't see a scenario where the same thing happened last year happens this year. What do you think about that? I hate to say it, but as a massive pessimist when it comes to all of my professional Mm -hmm. sports teams and all my college sports teams, I think it's possible because... Mm -hmm. I think it'd be fair to say that Syracuse loses to North Carolina and Florida State. You're asking them to go on the road and upset a top 15 team in their house. If you get one of those games, you are over the moon thrilled. Yes. But, so that ends. You have a bye week, but Mm. then you go... Won't lose that one, I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) Then you go into a night game at Lane Stadium. Virginia Tech's bad. Virginia Tech is a really bad football team, but there's something about enter Sandman playing at 7.30 p.m., that scares you. It's not easy. It's not easy. You're right. You're right. It doesn't matter how bad Virginia Tech is going to be. They're always going to pack out Lane Stadium for yep. a, for an atmosphere like that and a game like that. And, you know, maybe something happens and then you enter the month of November where Syracuse is historically awful. I think 6-20 under Dino Babers Dino Babers doesn't do, like a whole, that. doesn't do a whole lot of winning in November. No. Doesn't do a whole lot of winning in November. And... You play four bad football teams. Yeah, BC, terrible. Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Wake are all bad. I would argue Wake is better than bad, but they're not good. They're not. You don't play a single good football yeah, team that's in fair. there. Pitt is atrocious. Pitt is horrible. Yeah. But it seems like Syracuse can never beat Pitt. And also, by the way, John Wildhack gave up yeah, a home game. And, and you lose yeah. a home game. Yeah. And, you know, there's been all this, I, I feel like, media coverage now about how John Wildhack is just talking about how much the athletic department got paid for moving which, the game to Yankee I mean, Stadium. Listen. Which, I, I, nobody loves capitalism more than I do. I completely get it, right? But still, eh, I understand the frustration from the fan standpoint. Yeah, so you, you lose that home game, and we'll see. But at the same time, you you have to, I think, beat Virginia Tech. 
If you lose to Virginia Tech, yeah. that's when, okay, now you're 4-4. Well, four four. Have to beat Virginia Tech to do what? To, to avoid the collapse. So if you think they lose to VT, they're not going to a bowl game? I think it makes it a lot harder because then you get to the point where it's a mental thing. Because yeah. hey, you look, you lose to three top twenty or you lose to two top twenty five teams and Clemson, who even in a down year is still Clemson and still has those athletes. From a talent perspective, they're a top ten team. I nobody Fine. can tell me otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Fine. You lose yeah. to those three. But if you lose to Virginia Tech, a I think objectively bad, bad. football team, yeah. one of the worst football teams in the ACC, yeah. one of the worst power five football teams, yeah. then mentally your team is in a bad spot and then you go into the month where you're historically horrible, yeah. having to win two games to make a bowl. Yeah. And you put yourself in a bad spot where you have to win more than one game. Because if yeah. you beat VT, you gotta win one game and boom you're in. Yeah. You can you can lose to Pitt. You yeah. can lose to Wake Forest. You can lose on the road to Georgia Tech, but if you beat BC at home in a night game, you're in a bowl game, and that's what matters. To me, I don't see a world in which they lose to Boston College. I think Boston College is terrible, and I think Syracuse is going to kill them. They almost beat Florida State. I know, but come the on. The bandana game. I, it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think... Yes, they also almost lost to Holy Cross, and they lost to Northern Illinois. It's a good I, Holy Cross team. It's also. a great FCS team. <laughs> They're a terrific FCS team. You're, the, yes, you're yes. usually the guy who breaks out the, oh, I know a guy on the team. I knew a guy on the team last <laughs> okay. year who played offensive tackle. Uh, they're a great, great FCS team. They're not supposed to almost beat BC. They no. lost to Northern Illinois. Yeah. They beat Virginia, who's probably the worst team in the Power Five, for you know understandable reasons going back yeah. to last year. You beat them by three, right? Um, I, I just don't see a world in which they lose to BC. I think you chalk that up as a victory right now. Um, and then you got to go one and four, right? You got to beat either Virginia Tech or one and three, sorry. Virginia Tech, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Wake. Do they beat one of them? I struggle to see a world in which they don't. Uh, could this team end up being six and six? I think they could. I think they'll probably end up seven and five, maybe eight and four. I don't see the five and seven collapse. No, but that's where I say you have to beat Virginia Tech, so you get to the point where you just have to win one more of those games because you should win every single one of these games. You should end your season with just three losses. I I think they'll lose at least one of them. But they they should on paper they're the best team in all of those games after Florida State. Yeah, I probably, don't think Georgia yeah. Tech. Georgia Tech is the best team out of all of those. That's on the road too. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech again is is not terrible. Well, they lost to Bowling Green, so yeah. I kind of take that. But yeah. they also, but they also beat they beat Wake Forest. Kind of, sort of. Well, they competed against Louisville, who's now a top twenty-five team. Yeah, like again, you're right. They're better than all of those teams. But even then, you should beat them. Yeah, fair, fair. I, I still think you'll lose one of those games. I'd be surprised if they end 5-0. and um, But I'd also be surprised if they end 0-5. So I, I think there's a way in between. I think they probably win three out of those five games. Um, I don't... I, I know I get what you mean if you're 4-4 four and four after VT, then all of a sudden you're thinking about, oh my god, this is happening again. I still don't see a world in which they don't win six. Yeah, I, I, I struggle to see that, but... I always look at the negative. I, I hate myself for it, but no, I get it. I get it. I get just, it. It's it's hard to find that spot of you're four and four. You go into the month where you've won eighteen or something like that percent of games with this head coach. You get into a scary spot, especially if these injuries continue to pile up. So yeah, 
okay, you lose to North Carolina, you lose to Florida State, fine, but then you have to beat VT. Interesting point. We'll see what happens. Obviously, still got a couple of games in the way until you get that. Oh, by the way, the bye week as well. So if you get one in North Carolina or Florida State, you are flying high. You're feeling awesome. You're you're thinking about nine wins at that point. You're thinking Um, about ten then. You might even be thinking about ten. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think you're probably thinking about nine either way. You're right. You're probably not going to get there. But if you're if you beat one of these two teams, I think I agree with you. You're thinking about ten wins. Um, if you lose to them, probably looking more in the seven eight range. Could things bottom out? It's Syracuse football. Anything could happen, right? Uh, especially if that thing is negative. That's topic number three. What is Syracuse going to do the rest of the way? It's a schedule that shakes out positively for them, not in the next two weeks, but certainly after that, the final five games of the season against the bottom tier of the ACC. Let's move on to a topic that's maybe a little bit less scary and morbid for Syracuse football fans and something that's a little bit more, I would call it jolly. Uniform combinations. <laughs> I like Syracuse's uniforms. We did an article about them this week. Which one's the best combination? Which one's the worst? And, hey, if you have a whiteout, why aren't you wearing all white? Number four. Adam, I love talking about uniforms, right? It really is one of my favorite topics in all of sports because I love uniform combinations. I love how creative some schools get. Some people think Oregon goes over the top. I love it. I love <laughs> the, the uniforms that they have. Do you see the throwbacks that they got recently? Oregon? They're green with... Uh, let me let me pull this up while, while I talk to you. They are, they are so Like a Mighty beautiful. Ducks kind of green? Exactly. Like that, yeah. Exactly. They are terrific. Now, I would argue, Adam, that Syracuse has really good uniforms. Yeah, I agree. I think my favorite ones, blue tops, orange bobs. Classic, yeah, classic. Orange, Syracuse orange looks. I love those. I want to know your favorites and your least favorites. I think I, I like the classic. I might get a little bit of hate for this, but I love the white helmet, orange jersey, white pants. I like those two. I, I think that that can be a really good look at times. That's That might be might be my favorite, but I don't think there's any really bad ones for Syracuse. I think that across pretty much every single sport, SU's got good uniforms all around. I would argue the basketball road uniforms are a little too plain for my liking. The orange, the orange ones with, with Syracuse, Syracuse across the chest. Yeah, but the script is incredible. The scripts are beautiful. The one there's one that I don't like. There's one that I don't like. The Cuse across the chest. I'm not a fan of. Yeah, no. It should say Syracuse. It or should orange say Syracuse or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Exactly. I'll, I'll agree with you there, but I'll tell you what. They're a lot better than they were a decade ago when they tried oh to go goodness. to the, the, the futuristic, futuristic yeah. look. Not no, good. I, I like the classic uniforms. Have they announced what they're wearing yet? On the road tomorrow and, uh, against North Carolina, I think they might be in the all whites. I'm not sure. I would assume it's either all whites or white with orange pants, because Carolina's going to be in the blue, obviously. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, they're in the all whites, which, yeah. which will look good. Here's yes. here's the one thing. It just it feels like there there was a disconnect between the athletic department and and the students. For the, oh for, my the for the army game, please where they take wore, the floor. Take the they floor. wore Go. the all blue and the orange helmets during a whiteout. When you're honoring Ben Schwartzwalder, whose whole thing was changing the uniforms to white. Yeah, and you're not going to yeah. wear white on the field. Yep. I mean, I, now I could get into a a whole longer thing about the student section and the athletic department and, and the disconnect that it feels like there is right now, and yeah. and all of that, mm-hmm. and just the student body not being. I guess interested in the team whatsoever at the moment. Yeah, but that I felt like that was a really bad look. And also, I enjoy how 
they decide that the orange out game is going to be when the other team is in orange school, so you can't actually see that there's a ton of Clemson fans in the building. Yeah, I don't think that was any kind of a coincidence there. I think they probably did that on purpose. But let's talk a little bit. It's a good segue from the uniforms to the whole student section thing. I get it. I really do to a point, right? Like, when you're down in the third quarter, I knew Syracuse was not going to win that game. Yeah. Because they were just not moving the football. Clemson looked like the varsity. Syracuse looked like the JV. But when you when it, when you make the big game boomer, whatever your thoughts on big game boomer, when you make his like bottom twenty student section list in a game that was so hyped up, it's not a good look. It's not, and there, there's all these people who like to say that Otto's Army is one of the best student sections in the country. Nah, I don't, I don't see. It. I've said this especially for basketball; it's horrific. Yeah. For football against Army, they didn't fill out the lower bowl. Yeah. And. The students just don't care anymore about football or basketball. They care about the Duke game, which you don't even have this year. Don't have it. Nope. And they care about the Clemson game. It doesn't kind of. They, they kind for of, a half. For a half. Yeah. And they were late to the game, and then they yeah. left early. Yeah. There's just like this this sense of disconnect between the university and the students right now, and I think the reason for that is you just kind of have just not done anything to say, hey, look, we're actually going to be different this right. year because last year it was great at the start. Yeah. It was really good. You beat yeah. multiple Power 5 teams at home. You beat a ranked team at home. You rush the field. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, you go on this losing stretch and you barely finish above 500. Now, yeah. this year, I think all the students know, oh, look, hey, this is Syracuse football. It's all going to be the same every single year. Nothing is going to change. We're not going to show up. Yeah. And... We're just in this revolving door of Syracuse goes on a winning uh, streak to start the season because they play an easy schedule. They try and hype up that they're good, and then they go and they play Clemson and they get demolished at home. Yeah. And you don't blame the students then for not showing up. Yeah. The people that I feel bad for are the players. Yeah. Because, I mean, that building should have been deafening last Saturday. And, I mean, I can tell you, being at both games, Purdue was a lot louder. A lot louder. You you had one final chance to get close to 50,000 in the Dome. They officially announced today, I think, that yep. the whole seating changing in the Dome with the new seats coming in. It's going to reduce capacity a little bit. By yeah. about 7,000, yeah. I think, for football, yeah. 5,000 for basketball. So yeah. you really had one final chance yeah. to get close to 50,000 in the Dome, and it's 41. If even if yeah. e- forty one announced, yeah. yeah. Well, when you're when you're selling half off tickets, right? Which, by the way, face value tickets in the nosebleeds were like eighty dollars. I know, I know. When they weren't selling them, yeah. I, like I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it either. Like, I don't get it either. What they were thinking, and you you should do whatever is possible to pack the dome. Why would anyone pay eighty dollars to do that? Oh, I, I, I have no. I mean, I wouldn't pay no. eighty dollars to to go watch Syracuse football play Clemson either, especially in, sitting in the nosebleeds. But yeah, I, I think the the question becomes, what can Syracuse athletics do to make a student body that let's face it, Adam has a lot of other things that they could do on yeah. a Saturday at noon. There's a lot of other things you can be doing as a student at Syracuse University, right? And probably a lot of them more fun than watching <laughs> the football team get, frankly beat to to a pulp by Clemson. So, you gotta make people care. It's hard for me to blame people for not caring when the athletic department doesn't make people care. 
I feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the coaching staff. They're doing their best. They put out, you know, hey, I'm Marvin Harrison, Syracuse receiver from 20 <laughs> years ago. Please come to the Dome, right? Uh, they don't get names like Marvin Harrison, but you get what I mean. It's like Jim Beheim, Felicia Leggett, Jack, and Adrian yeah. Autry. But to me, that's such a half-hearted and lazy effort. There's so much more you could be doing. They're just not. This might be uh, extra stretch out from what you're going at, but I feel like you have to make a true change for the student body to care again. Could be. And I think that all starts with the head coach, and we're now, this is, you know, getting close to 10 years under Dino Babers, and it's the same thing year in, year out. you got to change something, I think, for people to get excited again. You have to do something for people to get excited again, and right now it's just not there, which is crazy to say after you sell out multiple games last season. I don't know if it's necessarily a coaching change. Would that get people... Change gets people excited no matter what, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think that's necessarily the silver bullet answer. I think the answer is beat Florida State. Beat Florida State, beat Virginia Tech. You're going to have a packed house for Boston College. I promise you. Parents weekend? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You're going to have extra people there just based off of that. Winning. Beat a good team. Give people a reason to be like, oh, this team's really good, has a chance to be relevant nationally. People will show up. I promise you that. Yeah. I mean, I'll bring this back up because I already mentioned my Sam Howell fandom earlier. Magic Johnson said exactly that last night about, oh, look, we made this change. We brought in the new owners. Fans are excited now. How do you keep people coming back? It's win. by winning. You got to win. Now you lose to the Bears. We'll see how that goes oh, for Washington. Uh, I'm sad right now. But it's the exact same thing for Syracuse. It doesn't matter what changes you make. At the end of the day, you have to win. Yeah. And we'll see that on the basketball side, too. There's going to be excitement at the start of the year. Yeah. But if they're keep bad. the crowds coming, you have to win. And, I mean, hey, if you beat Florida State, if you beat Virginia Tech, and you're 6-1 and one, and you have a night game, and that place doesn't have at least 43, 44,000 people, yeah. then we're at a real, real cause for concern. I agree. I agree. It's certainly something to be seen. But if you if you lose to North Carolina, you lose to Florida State, you lose to Virginia Tech, there's going to be 35,000 in there. Maybe. Maybe. Probably Maybe. closer to 30. So we'll certainly see how that plays out. But I think we were both a little disappointed by the turnout and the energy level in the Dome a week ago. All right, let's move on to topic number five. We've... Hammer the football team the entire time. Let's move over to basketball. Season coming up in just about a month or so, and recruiting seating up as well. Number five. Adam, it's a strategy as old as time. You got a big-time football team coming into the Dome. Clemson's there. You hope to have a lot of people there, as we just talked about, maybe not quite as much as you would have liked to. What do you do? You bring the basketball recruits over, right? Hey, this is Syracuse Athletics. This is the type of atmosphere you can expect to have. And, well, Adrian Autry did just that. Donnie Freeman headlining a recruiting class in 2024. He was at the Dome a week ago. Syracuse recruiting maybe slowed down a little bit compared to where it was in the spring, especially with the season coming up. Obviously, coaches aren't going out as much as they were, but I think it's in a pretty decent spot right now. I think it's in a decent spot. Of course, you already have Donnie Freeman committed, but... Elijah Moore as well in 2024. But Donnie, I guess, solidified that by visiting. The one visit that happened... This past weekend that stood out to me as someone who's from the DMV was Derek Dixon, mm-hmm. a combo guard uh, from D.C. I've mm-hmm. seen him play in person probably four or five mm-hmm. times now, and he's a Judah Mintz type player. Yeah. He's a top 100 player in the country. 
universally some some services had him have him up at like 30 yeah. to like 20. Mm. I think that if you can get a guy like him, get a four star in the class of 2025, then we're at the point where you're talking about Syracuse as a consistent player in the recruiting world and not a team that had one good year because you have a new coach and you have that right. burst of excitement. Right. The 2025 class and 2026 classes are really, really important mm-hmm. because that shows that Adrian Autry's excitement wasn't just a bloop in a long you know, series of years where you've had rough recruiting classes and that it is legit and that Autry's going to bring in these guys every single year. Well, speaking of the top of 2025... There's one guy, There's especially one guy. Adam, yeah. who if you get him, you feel a lot better about yourself. And if you don't get him, you feel really, really bad about yourself because yeah. his dad has his name on your basketball practice facility. And, of course, yes. that's Carmelo Anthony and his son, Kyan Anthony. Yes. So, Kyan Anthony announced that he's going to visit Syracuse on October 19th. He's going to visit Florida State on October 13th. I, it's hard for me to overstate. You cannot lose on this guy. You cannot. Especially if it's to Florida State or if it's to another ACC team. Yeah. You have to get him. And he he's, he said that he doesn't have an issue with his dad being the legend yeah. here. Yeah. And Syracuse is a school which consistently kind of has that family aspect to mm-hmm. it. And of course, you had Jim and Beheim and then Buddy Beheim yeah. and... In, in the lacrosse world with, with yep. your coaches forever yep. being yep. all within a family. Well, Roy Simmons, Roy Simmons used to say, all I want from you when you commit is four years in your firstborn son. Yeah, so yeah. So, so, you know, family is a big thing in Syracuse. You have to get Kai and Anthony. And he is that good of a player. Yeah. His dad isn't just Carmelo. Consistent top 40 player in the country yep. wherever you look. The one thing that concerns me a little bit is that he's another guard, and it feels yeah. like all that Syracuse is getting outside of Donnie Freeman right now mm-hmm. are guards. Sure. But you got to get him. He's also 6'4", though. Yeah. He's not 6'1", right? So no. he's a he's a true shooting guard. He's about 190, certainly plenty of room to grow. But like you mentioned, he's a consensus top 40 player, top 2 player in New York State, top 10 shooting guard. Um, and hard to overstate, this is Mellow's kid. <laughs> How do you lose out on Melos? He's the guy paid for your practice facility. He's the 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 most talented player ever to come out of this place. He's Mr. Syracuse. He comes back every now and then. He loves Jim Beheim. I'm sure he's got a great relationship with Red Autry as well. You cannot. You need to put out all the possible stops. What's his favorite food? What type of bed spreading does he like? What type of restaurants does he go to? I don't care. Take him to everything. Give him everything he wants. You need to get him on campus, get him committed here as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, and you can't lose him to Florida State. No. I'll tell you that. No. He's visiting Florida State, Indiana, Michigan, and Syracuse. Those are the four that, that he's visiting. Now, if, if you lose him to, like, Indiana, that's another, like, kind of blue blood. Yeah, but still, but still like, yeah. you can't lose him there. If you lose him to like a Duke, then you're just... Then you're just like, eh. 
you're just like, hey, you know what? Okay, you lost him to yeah. one of the best programs. If you lose him to a Kansas or Kentucky, right? Okay, if you lose him to Florida State, you feel like you feel like crap. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. I I I can't imagine living in a world where Carmelo Anthony's son, who isn't like a Michael Jordan's son, who's actually a good basketball player, right. goes to Florida State over Syracuse. Yeah, no, I, I mean you're 100 percent right. It, it's it's important to to reemphasize this. This is not Michael Jordan's kid. This is more so a Bronny James type, where this guy's legit. This guy's gonna be a really good college basketball player, has a chance to be a really good NBA player one day. He is not just Carmelo Anthony's son. He is Key and Anthony. He's got a chance to be a really really good player. Syracuse has to absolutely under no circumstances can Syracuse not get him to commit to SU. So. I think we've hammered home that point. Basketball recruiting maybe slowed down a little bit with the season coming up, but obviously always working behind the scenes and coaches doing their best to get the best possible players onto campus. Kean Anthony, October 19th, a visit. Red, seal the deal, man. You got to. You absolutely have to seal the deal. All right, Adam, we've talked about the gauntlet. Syracuse football's matchup with UNC tomorrow. You've got them losing. I've got them losing as well, me, by less than you do. Talked about the receivers. Talked about Dan Valari. Talked about, hey, a lot of similarities to last year. How do, avo- how do you avoid a collapse? Schedule's not great down the stretch, but hey, we don't know what's going to happen. And then basketball recruiting, always that cycle moving forward and forward. That's it for this edition of Fizz 5. Be sure to find all of our content over at orangefizz.net. We've got daily articles. We've got these that go up every week, and we'll be covering the game tomorrow at North Carolina as well. For one last time, he's Adam Godkin. I'm Francesco Simone. Thank you so much for joining us here on Fizz 5. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.